Online communities, classroom culture, and personal relationships have something in common. Whether it's forming a strong emotional bond, feeling included and accepted, or having an attachment to others, feeling like we belong makes us happy. Ever wonder why? Join me, Dr. Eileen Winokur, for my bi-weekly podcast, Journeys to Belonging, as I discuss my personal and professional experiences with belonging and interview educators and others as they share their stories of belonging. At the end of every episode, I'll offer advice about how we can all feel like we belong. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Journeys to Belonging podcast. This week's guest is somebody really, really special. And my guests are always really special, but this is someone really extraordinary. She's a podcaster herself and someone who is a mentor to me in my podcasting and also in a lot of other parts of my journey to belonging. So let me introduce Dr. Sarah Thomas, and I would love for Sarah to introduce herself and talk about the things that she thinks are important that are going on in her life. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Arlene. It is a pleasure and an honor to be here. So um, I really appreciate you having me on. So hello, listeners. Um, my name is Sarah Thomas, and I'm a, um, I'm a regional technology coordinator in a large district in Maryland by day. Um, an occasional adjunct professor at a local university, and also the founder of EduMatch, which is a nonprofit organization. Uh, no, I'm sorry, EduMatch Foundation is a nonprofit organization, but EduMatch itself, the umbrella organization, is a grassroots organization of educators around the world who learn and grow along similar lines of interest. And, you know, we create together, we learn from one another and with one another. So uh, that's kind of about me in a nutshell. That is a nutshell because there's so much more to you. We need to open up that nutshell during this program and find out a bit more. So, <laughs> yeah, Sarah, when I say uh, belonging or sense of belonging, what are the first things that come to mind? Oh, wow. That makes me think of connectedness um, in terms of um how everyone in the world is connected you know everyone is connected in some way um but it's up to us to activate those connections so that we can learn together grow together growing is a lifelong journey so uh definitely um in terms of activating our our networks and uh you know there's a there's a line from a song that says tell your friends to get with my friends we can be friends so everybody you know yeah, everybody like can, can yeah everybody can uh can learn and grow grow together so we all we all have some so much to offer so um so uh when you belong and when you find your crew um and uh just figure out this whole thing called life together that's a that's a beautiful thing yeah, we, we all belong and bring something to the table. I love that part of what you mentioned is, is belonging isn't just, just someone sort of fitting in. Um, it's, it's someone also bringing something to the table and then getting something back from the others. So that's really, really important. Um, EduMatch is a really, really important part of your story. And I think your my idea of what belonging is because when we think of belonging, a lot of times we think of belonging within our, our families, belonging within our, our classrooms, 
But EduMatch is so much bigger than that. Um, people might think, well, I'm not really sure how that would fit in with belonging. So maybe you can sort of take us back a little bit, describe how EduMatch got started, why it got started, and then what kind of, you talked about a global community. What does that look like and how do you feel about it? What, what was the motivation for all of that? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And you know, what's, what's funny, um, it came about kind of spur of the moment. Um, when I was having a conversation with one of my friends in Texas, we were on the Voxer app on a Friday night and she said something and it reminded me of something that my cousin had just said a month prior. And he, um, at the time I, I was visiting him in Haiti, but he used to be a math teacher in New York. So we were talking about fantasy sports and math gamification. So she mentioned something made me think of another friend of ours who does gamification. I said, you know, it would be really cool if the three of you got together and talked and, you know, just seeing what comes out of that. And so at the time, um, an idea, just kind of inspiration struck. Um, like, let me see if there's something out there that'll do that. So I did a little search. Um, and, you know, I was already familiar with Twitter chats, with Facebook groups, with Voxer groups, things of that nature, but not something that would directly say person A, meet person B, meet person C. So get together, see what comes out of it. So um, at that time, I set up a Twitter account and I tweeted out kind of what I had in mind. Um, and someone from Australia responded. So, I mean, it started out, it started out global. So, wow. yeah, so that was, that was really cool. So I asked him to tell me a little bit about him. Um, he gave me back kind of a paragraph. So I matched it up with hashtags, um, that I found online and just tweeted it out, um, over the course of 24 hours. And at the end of the day, I checked in back with him and he said that he met a bunch of people, you know, and he suggested keep it going. So at that point I set up a Google form. Um, a website, people joined, they brought their ideas, their inspiration, their energy. And from that, we've been able to build and grow. And it's just been, it's just been um, really powerful to look back and see what people are bringing, you know, like speaking of the belonging and how everyone has something to bring. Um, it's truly been from what people have brought that we have grown. Um, and you asked about the inspiration behind it. And it's funny because I didn't really realize it until later. I thought that it was kind of like a spur of the moment thing, but um, one day, you know, somebody asked me, well, why? Why do you do this? Um, and that caused me to sit back and reflect and think on it. And, you know, I remembered my journey through um, both through my childhood and adolescence, as well as my early uh, journeys as a, uh, as a teacher, like uh, going through alternative certification. And one thing that characterized both of those experiences was a feeling of isolation. Um, so this was kind of the opposite of that. <laughs> so it was kind of like a breath hey. of fresh air. Um, and I guess that that was kind of like, that's kind of been the push to keep it going and to, you know, to keep doing this. So that's, that's kind of it. Right there. Yeah, that's, that's so awesome. So how long has EduMatch been around as a, as an idea, even from the early stages? How long have you been doing it? Um, it was September 26, 2014, um, when, you know, that initial conversation and wow. Twitter, like, I mean, and it, it was like back to back, like idea, Twitter account was born in like maybe half an hour after that, you know, and then by the end of the weekend, the website was up. So it was all about like, I know me personally, if I sit on an idea, it's not going to get done. So it's got to be like right away. So it was like, right. bam, 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 grow, 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 and make it better as it, as time goes on. Well, that's entrepreneurship. That's what they talk about is you filled a need, you filled a gap, 
you saw that and you seized it and you said, well, I don't know if this is going to work, but let me try it because it seems like there is a need to bring these people together. And, you know, we, we do that through our PLNs on social media and it's, it's really important, but it also takes, it takes time and it takes mindfulness about this is what I really want to do. And this is where I want to go with it. You know, I want to create that community of not necessarily like-minded people, but people that I can sort of give and take with and have a good conversation with. I know that Edumatch is publishing books now. When did that start? Yeah, that started back in 2016 was our very first book that, that we did. Um, because we have a boxer group. So there were one day the topic came to, well, what's your educator bucket list? And so many people were saying, oh, I would love to publish a book. I would love to publish a book. And so at that point, um, we just made like a little side group. And I said, okay, guys, let's, let's check this out. Let's see if we can make it happen. It might fail miserably. And if it does, then, you know, sorry in advance for you know your time. Um, but if it works, then, you know, let's roll with it. So about 20 people decided, yes, you know, let's do this. So they each submitted a chapter and, um, you know, we just learned the, the process of publishing. Um, and from there, that, that first book was a success. So the second one, we decided to do a second one, which is a cookbook. So that was kind of random. Oh, I had but... no idea. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But people, um, at one point, a conversation came up. I, I think somebody probably asked, like, what are you having for dinner? This was like right on the heels <laughs> of the very first book. <laughs> and so everyone started chiming in with their recipes and someone said, hey, why don't we do a cookbook? And so Tammy Neal, um, she was the co-editor of this project with me. So we got, um, it was probably about 20-ish people again, submitting either a recipe for something that they cook or a recipe, I'm doing air quotes. I know your listeners can't hear me but, <laughs> or can't see me, but uh, but recipes for uh, success in education. And so we got this, this cookbook together. And then after that, we did another anthology and we've kept the anthology going as kind of a yearly thing. Um, and in addition, around 2017, people started asking about doing their own book. And our very first solo book was um, Dean Ganey's Journey to the YNU and released we released that um, April 2018. So, um, so yeah, it's been uh, since that time we've had, oh man, we've released about, I've lost track, but close to 40 projects. Um, and, wow. you know, it's continuing to grow. So uh, definitely, yeah. um, you know, I have to give a shout out to the whole team. Um, so we have several team members, um, Mandy Fralick, um, Alyssa Frazier, Tatul and Toya, Martine Brown, uh, Me Melody McAllister, and um, also all of our authors that we have on board. So, you know, they've really helped to grow this, this project tremendously. Yeah, you really need a dedicated team to be able to help you with something that's grown that large. And what's really nice about the books is that they're so teacher-friendly, user-friendly, um, their storytelling, which is wonderful. So it's, it's a teacher or an educator who has had experiences and is talking about those experiences, successes, failures, things that they did. Um, and so it speaks so much to, to everybody out in the community. And so I think that's why probably people keep coming back to you for the publishing and also for, for the books, because it's an, it's an amazing community in itself. 
Um, you also mentioned, yeah, you also mentioned in the information you sent me, and you've alluded to it a little bit in our conversation just now about growing up. And you mm -hmm. said that you sort of felt uh, isolated. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I think that's really important in terms of, of just how your journey took you to this time where you realized it's so important to find that belonging and to find that connectedness. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my, my family is amazing. I, um, you know, I, I uh, we're very tight knit, very close knit. Um, and inside the home, then, you know, I had everything that, that I could have ever wanted for, you know, as far as love and connectedness there. Um, when I stepped outside the door, <laughs> then it wasn't always that way. Um, a lot of times I was the only um, student who would look like me in my classes um, or one of very few. Um, in addition, in my neighborhood, it was, uh, it was, it was very similar. And, you know, growing up, there were, there were some moments of adversity centered around that. Um, and a lot of times, you know, I, I had friends, but I never really felt like I belonged, you know? So um, a lot of times going through some situations, I felt like I wasn't necessarily wanted or welcomed in those spaces. So, um, so I would say that the, that kind of was a feeling that characterized um, my experience as a student, um, I would say middle and high school primarily. Um, but, um, you know, college, college was amazing. <laughs> college was amazing, but, um, also going through my very first years as a teacher, um, going through alternative certification and, uh, just trying to figure things out as I was going along. Um, I was in a few situations that weren't necessarily conducive to my professional learning. Um, and there, again, I felt that isolation and, uh, and like I didn't really have a whole lot of people that I could go to and, um, and trust to have my best interests. Um, there were some, there were some, and they were very much appreciated. Um, but I, I felt like I, I, I did not have that network per se that I needed up until maybe my fourth year, so. Yeah, so it was. Well, wow, that's really a long time into it. You talked yeah. about alternative certification. So it seems that you started off not in the education field. So what were you doing right. before you got into education and how did that journey happen? You know, how did you find education? Because it seems like it's your passion now. Yeah, yeah. And that's a funny story because it really didn't take long at all. Um, when I graduated from high school, I had really not much of an idea what I was going to do. Um, you know, when I was applying, trying to find my major, I, I didn't know. Um, but I was just like, let me pick something. Let me let me get a plan together. And, you know, if the plan works great, if it doesn't, then OK. Um, so my plan was um, in undergrad to do radio, TV, film, and then take it from there, see, see where it leads me from there. So maybe stay in radio, TV, film. And I went that route because um, my brother worked in television production. I really appreciated um, being able to hang with him on location and things like that. You know, it really interested me. Script writing interested me, making videos, and I was good at it. So I did, um, I was a, a radio, TV, film major in undergrad and a French minor. Um, and, you know, I really enjoyed it. Uh, but 
once I got to college, then that's when my mom started teaching middle school. Um, so I can't remember. It was pretty early on, either my freshman or sophomore year, but I started going to help her set up her classroom and work with the kids and, you know, help them uh, learn French. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is really where I want to be. <laughs> and um, there was a lady at her job who was the AV specialist at the time. And I said, okay, you know, I, I could really see myself doing something like that. And um, so towards the end, I tried to get into substituting. Um, I didn't want to change my major because I already had all my credit work out the way. But uh, I went back in for grad school for intercultural communication after graduate after graduating and I just happened to come down the stairs, see a flyer on the wall that they were looking for teachers for a nearby district. So I was probably, it took about a year <laughs> out of after graduating for me to uh, start teaching. So it was, it was a pretty quick turnaround, yeah. Wow, and I'm thinking about how you've been able to combine what you did as an undergraduate with what you're doing now in education and with EduMatch and your podcast and offering mentorship to other teachers or educators who want to get into some of the things that you're doing. I just am um, almost done with the, the course that you're doing on podcasting, which has been so helpful to me because I was just starting my podcast when you invited all of us to, to join. And so it's really cool to see the way you've opened your eyes to opportunities and you've seized them when you realized that, that that was the path that you wanted to take. So it probably didn't take too long. It took me a lot longer to find education, even though when I was growing up, people told me, Eileen, you should, you know, so be a teacher or whatever. And I said, no, 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 no. I'd have to be perfect, <laughs> well, you know? I don't want to let those uh, kids down, right? Yeah. And then you. I what got into it yours? later. Yeah, yeah. So it yeah. was, it, it took me a while, but now that I'm in it, I, I, you know, even though I'm retired now, I can't see leaving it because it's, it's just amazing. So gotcha. you, you also are very involved, especially right now during this whole remote learning and students being out of school and educators looking for solutions and how to reach their students. And you're very involved now with supporting um, teachers and educators in the in their classrooms and I know that you've been involved with ISTE the International Society for Technology and Education digital equity and um, and all of that for a number of years so can you talk a little bit about digital equity about um, what you're doing right now the kinds of things that you're doing and maybe that will lead us then into the end of the conversation which is a bit of advice, but I'd love for you to talk about digital equity. What is that and and how do you, what's your contribution to all of that, especially in the midst of this crisis? Oh, absolutely. And and you are so right. There's, it, it, it feels like, you know, digital equity is really at the crux of what we're doing right now. Um, you know, this this whole COVID-19 situation, um, I mean, it's, 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 it's a disruption um, of the world. Um, and by disruption, then I mean it in both senses, um, in a negative sense, in terms of, um, you know, the tragedy and, and the illness um, that's going on. And definitely, you know, I, I'm sending my, my thoughts to anyone who's affected by that, um, be it physically or their family or, or financially or, or whatever ramifications. It's really, um, it's really a, a sad thing. 
Um, but there's also a lot of hope coming out of it as well um, in terms of people coming together, um, people critically assessing the situation um, and seeing uh, seeing what inequities there are and how we can work together to fix them. And in education, this is this is really becoming a topic of conversation. And over the years working with digital equity, then I'm seeing that more and more people um, were interested in learning more. What can they do, you know, to make sure that all students have um, equity in terms of um, their their devices, their bandwidth. Not only that, though, um, going beyond that to make sure that they're having equity in terms of their opportunities and um, their access to transformational learning experiences. Um, so, you know, in recent years, then that's that's been gaining more and more prominence um, in the educational space. But now it's right there in our face, you know. Anyone who was not thinking about it before is, you know, I, I guarantee you they're probably thinking about it now. Um, and there's so many factors. Um, there's so many factors that come into play. Um, I see some districts that are doing some phenomenal work. Um, and, you know, I definitely have to give a shout out to my district. I was not involved in, in this, uh, in, um, in, in the planning and the, the response from from our superintendent, uh, but I want to give her a huge kudos um, to her and to everyone who has informed um, the decisions that have been made in our district. Um, a couple of things that I'm really seeing that that bring me a lot of hope um, are that um, first and foremost, students are getting access to um, to the learning opportunities. So they're making sure that through this remote learning process, every student has a device, not just every household, but every student. So, you know, the need to share devices and, you know, um, and, and deal with uh, potentially sharing them among multiple students, that's not even a factor. If you are a student in our district and you don't have access to a device, you get access to a device. They're passing out Chromebooks and, um, you know, I love that. And in addition, that's amazing. Working, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're working. Amazing. Yeah, they're working to make sure also that students get access um, to the internet. And in addition, we're working with all of the educators in our district to prepare them for remote learning. Um, and another thing that I saw that was that was great is that it's not um, we're not replacing what is, you know, to be done in the classroom, it's not, because you can't replace it right now. I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic, we're in the middle of a crisis. So, so you can't replace it, but you can adjust and pivot and do what you need to do, you know, to, to help meet the needs of students academically um, and also social emotionally. Um, and there's supports also for the staff in, in my district, social emotional support. So um, I really have to say kudos to, to the leadership for that. Like that is, that's, that's phenomenal. Yeah. And that's so important because, uh, you know, both of us are very involved with our PLNs um, mm -hmm. on, on social media. And you can really see the discrepancies among states, among countries in terms of their interpretation of what that emergency remote learning is looking like. And some of them really haven't pivoted, uh, unfortunately. And um, it's really 
not assisting the educators and the students in, in feeling like they're able to do. And also the, the digital equity piece that's so important. I'm so happy to hear. I know your district and there are other districts and, and provinces um, and countries that are making sure that everybody has access. But if you're going to go to online learning, whatever that looks like, even if it's a not a full day of replacement for the classroom, you need to really be aware of whether there is access. And for those who don't have access, what, what they can do. So, um, so I'm really glad to hear that your, your district is, is part of that movement toward making sure that everybody has that access. So Sarah, as we finish up today, um, anything else you'd like to highlight? Uh, and for, most importantly, advice to educators just in general um, and for the things that you're seeing that people are asking you about right now and also even you know previous to the crisis what are the kinds of things or uh, advice that you could give educators and parents and students um, about about your background and and your experiences yeah i would say that my answer would probably be the same previous uh to the crisis as well as now and probably in the future as well um about the power of connecting you know about the power of just reaching out and and um, you know getting getting uh, that support you know um, that support from from your PLN or from from family from friends from from anyone but it's I feel like now it's extremely important to stay connected um, and you know to learn and to to support one another through these uh, crazy unprecedented times so yeah yeah absolutely you know they talk about social distancing and i'm trying to remember just within the last week someone mentioned physical distancing and we should be call it, calling it physical distancing because we shouldn't be social distancing so exactly what you said that we need to stay connected sarah we need to make sure that we still feel we belong and and you know to to a larger community that's the only way we're all going to get through this but even before or after you're right, the connectedness is really the most important part. So thank you so much, Sarah. It was such a pleasure and such an honor to interview. You sort of turned the tables a little bit oh, well, <laughs> on the podcaster. You so yeah, thank yeah. you for being here with me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And Sarah, before we finish up, please let us know how people can find you. Sure. Uh, so you can find me on uh, Twitter at S-A-R-A-H-D-A-T-E-E-C-H-U-R. -E -E that is Sarah the Teacher. I'm on Voxer with the same username. I'm not on Voxer as much now because I usually do that during my commute, but uh, you can always feel free to leave me a Vox there. I'm on Facebook. I'm on, um, on all of the socials. So definitely looking forward to connecting with your audience. Yes. Yeah. And mention your podcast. Oh, yeah. So the podcast is EduMatch Tweet and Talk. So uh, so that should be available on just about all the podcatchers out there. So uh, EduMatch Tweet and Talk. Thanks a lot, Sarah. Thank you so much, Eileen. Be sure to subscribe to my podcast, Journeys to Belonging. Um, and the next episode will be out in two weeks. In the meantime, you can connect with me on Twitter 
at Eileen Winokur, I-L-E-N-E-W-I-N-O-K-U-R, or on Instagram at Eileen underscore W. And you can also find my blog uh, at the website HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash cultures dot build. See you in two weeks. Thank you.